Welcome to The Lisa Show. It's time for another Lisa's Christmas music sampler, and I almost can't believe that we have these folks in studio with us. If I say Everybody Talks or 1983, you probably think of the neon trees, and you would be right because... Two-fourths, one-half of the neon trees are here in the studio with us, uh, welcoming Elaine Bradley and Brandon Campbell. Thanks, you guys, for being here. Hey, all right. Thanks for having us. Uh, Now, this may be kind of a a, a different discussion. I know with what touring the world, as you guys have done over the time of being with Neon Trees, a lot of times people will just want to talk about music or where you come from or how you came together or what's next for you guys. And and we certainly want to do that, including sharing a great uh, Christmas song that you guys have put together. We also want to talk about your Christmas and your Christmas traditions and Christmases growing up. So maybe something you haven't talked too much about. So I hope you guys are willing to share some of those Christmases <laughs> gone by with us today. Trust with us, your cherished childhood memories. Yes, you know, yes. take us back. To, what was Christmas like for you, Brandon, when you were yeah. growing up? Well, growing up, I I lived in Iowa till I was ten, and uh, so I, I definitely associate you know the the white Christmas right, and it's uh, with the, with the snow and and. The yeah, it just brings a new that that feeling, and then moving to Las Vegas, where I did, you know, was quite the contrast. Where <laughs> yeah. it was hard to feel like, is this Christmas? You know, but but looking back, I think what what I really cherish is um, family. Of course, I, I mean, both of my grandparents on both sides uh, were were lived there. Uh, we got to spend ample time with them, and it was it was very um, set in the way that Christmas Eve was with my mom's family and then Christmas Day with my dad's family. And oh, nice. yeah, and so lots of cousins, you know, and the band will attest to I've got cousins in everywhere. every time. Yeah, everywhere. Yeah, every time there's anybody on a guest list from Brandon, it's like, oh, which cousin is this? Like, yeah, really. You just know it's a cousin. And that's it's a crazy. great way. But to, but touring uh, has been a great way of keeping in touch with family. Um, I bet. And, and I've seen it slip a little since we haven't been on the road. Um you know, where it's it's a little longer between the catch-ups or, you know, online or texting. But, you know, but getting back, uh, yeah, it was that. It was that. I really cherish that that family time. Uh, football games with the cousins. Yeah. Um, yeah. And who went on to play in, in high school and college. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, of course, going through my, uh, my grandma's uh, Sears catalog. Circling where she'd say, well, circle things that maybe, you know, I could tell Santa to bring. And but as I got a little older, there was a a drum set that I had my eye on. And on the the, on the the front of the kick drum, it said Black Magic on there. (laughs) And I said, well, I I have to name my band Black Magic so that I will have it on the kick drum. Um, And and I and I talked my cousin into uh, uh, doing some air guitar um, lip syncing. I guess it would be which which Lisa you're uh, well, very very professional. Uh, I don't want to brag, but I grade. really enjoy lip syncing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so you know, getting into that early, I think really helped you know my stage presence. And uh, if this was being you know on air filmed, we could put in that that picture right. of Cut me to. with the pleather uh, pants on. And, chaps? And a, no, I, the, cha- the chaps, chaps were sixth grade. grade. Oh, sixth, sixth grade. grade. Yeah. Which em- which Emily has a picture of 
um, your wife, Emily, your wife, my, yeah. my wife. Yeah, took a picture. We didn't really know each other that well. How but funny. looking back, where she's last day of school, <laughs> I got crazy and t- wore chaps. <laughs> uh, luckily, with pants underneath. Good, good, uh, and good. She strong brought, choice. And she brought a camera because yeah, this did. was 1986, so it was a film camera. Oh, wow. Uh, nice. And she took a picture, and years later remembered. No way. Hey, I have this photo. You uh, chaps, man. Yeah, and it's other students in the uh, f- at the school definitely looking at me like, what is that dude thinking? <laughs> well, yeah. and it's so interesting that it was a drum set, but then you would go on to play the bass guitar. Yeah. What happened to your drum dream? Well, it was just that I think it was that easy gateway to, uh, <laughs> um, you know, wanting to have a band. Yeah, you know? yeah, and you see, were in. Yeah, where I just I just loved all of the music, you know, where I I could I didn't see myself yet as anything, you know, specific, uh, but I knew I wanted to be part of an ensemble. I knew, and mm-hmm. I think growing up getting into music, I never wanted to be, you know, a, a solo artist or, uh, you know, someone that is yeah. just, you know, playing lead bass all the time, you know. That we find that at shows, that's when people go to get nachos and <laughs> refill on the drinks. And but yeah. I do want to get to the root of sort of what we're talking yes, about here, Christmas, which is Christmas. I'm Give me an back. idea of what what, okay. it's, what it was like growing up. Well, I, I'm the youngest of seven children, so chaos. Um, yeah, it was it was chaos <laughs> for sure. Um, for me, being the youngest, though, it like probably was less chaos than for the older because I was creating most of the chaos, <laughs> sure. and then like there was nobody after me, so I never had to deal with it. My mom started babysitting when I was like. I don't know, five. <laughs> and I remember being highly annoyed. <laughs> highly, like, what? Really? Why is this person touching my stuff? <gasps> what? I just, I really didn't get a lot of that. Anyway, point is, um, so one of the things we did as a family that I remember that actually left an impression in a good way um, is we would do this 12 days of Christmas thing where we would pick a family, um, usually like, because I grew up in the LDS faith, usually like a, a family from our church The you know, my parents would talk to the leaders and be like, hey, like who needs help this Christmas? Mm-hmm. And then we would pick a family with kids. And then for each of the 12 days, we would make up like a rhyme on the first day of Christmas, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we would include little gifts for each of the 12 days and drop them off like doorbell ditch. Oh, cool. You know? So cool. And I remember one year, I think I was maybe in fourth grade or something like that. And, um... We had this family with kids who were similarly aged to mine, and it was in the middle of the 12 days of Christmas. My parents had them over for Sunday dinner, mm-hmm. and so they were hanging out, and they had brought things that we had given them. Oh, wow. So it was oh, like wow. seeing them be like, oh, you, this is so cool, or everyone being like, they don't even know that was us. Like <laughs> I remember yes. feeling that. Like That was a really cool oh, thing. Yeah. So I, I feel like that helped me understand the spirit of Christmas more than all the other like family chaos and stuff like that. But- if you want to know one of the most bitter memories. Ooh, yes. <laughs> oh, maybe I do. Maybe. <laughs> maybe you don't. Maybe I should just stop while I'm ahead. But no, it was when I was a teenager. So my my dad was a hospital administrator, CEO guy of medical practices. Uh, we were really poor when I was really young, living in Lincoln, Nebraska, yeah, in a three-bedroom, one-bath duplex with seven kids and two parents. Wow. Okay, I lived in a three-bedroom, one-bath home, or one-and-a-half yeah. baths. The half well, you had one the half. Didn't, didn't really count. Counted but Yeah, yeah, for seven Those people. Backups. Oh, yeah. man. That's rough. <laughs> I'll tell you what. Anyway, so Lincoln, Nebraska. Started out pretty low, but then he got, like, as he got better at his job, he just kept on moving up and up and up and up, you know, so we got a little more well-off and could do the 12 Days of Christmas for other people. We were probably the recipient when I was yeah, really they were like, we got to yeah. pay No, so back. then in high school, my dad, like, gave up that profession and bought a bakery a bread bakery so like all of his savings what? went into that so then we were once again like not very well off not not destitute or anything like sure. that but it wasn't like 
No worries. You know what I mean? So that he bought Christmas candy. I remember this in this big metal bowl. He had like this name brand Christmas candy, like like the Snickers and the Reese's or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And my sister and I were the only two left at home because this was when we were in high school. And I remember being like, ooh, candy, awesome. Like we don't get that very often. And going to get it and him being like, no, 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 that's for the kids coming home. And it was like, ooh. <laughs> the kids coming ooh. home. Like, so, yeah. so, okay. <laughs> So when we leave, we're children then. Yeah, so, But yeah. when we're home, yeah, nope, we're worthy of nope. no special treatment. That stung. Yeah. But I remembered the 12 days of Christmas, and I forgave him. <laughs> there you good. go. It was that day she packed a bag and moved out uh, so she could yeah. be a I'll child. Up just home. Home. It's so yeah. interesting to me, the things that we remember from our childhood and, and what emotions it brings up and, and how we carry that as adults. And then when we have our own children, how we sort of... Give our best intentions. And, and then do the same oh, thing yeah. to them. Do the same yeah. thing. I just basically well, tell my kids already, no, you're going to spend your whole adulthood unpacking your childhood, yeah. and I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I know whenever yeah. anything you know, happens, I said, just make sure that you tell your therapist, your loved ones, that, that I tried really hard. Just mm-hmm. just sneak right. that in when you're trying to unpack it. Yeah. Yeah. I can share that that one bitter moment from the holidays. Was, again, <laughs> I but it's bittersweet because if Aww. it didn't happen, it would not have led to everything good in my life oh, like seriously okay. but the day after christmas uh 1984 uh we packed up the rider truck uh like mm. f- the 25 footer with everything we owned and my mom and dad moved us to las vegas oh. where my dad he had worked in a factory in, uh, in iowa that was shutting down and so he uh he had the guts to go out to vegas and to find work and stayed out there for about three months and um Found found a, a new li- you know livelihood and and moved us out there and so that was hard and I remember my uh, my dad's youngest brother uh, my uncle uh, kind of running after the truck he was a lot younger he was still in high school like when we were kids and um, him running after the truck like you know see you guys later and oh. and and we never saw him again because he he passed away the next year oh my gosh is this getting like yeah, really really dim and gloomy okay, I wanted I wanted to bring it down oh, wow. no but. Um, but only good memories of of him and and Uncle Mike is is amazing. But we moved to Vegas and that that turned a new corner, which ultimately led to the band, led to meeting my wonderful li- wife, my uh, you know finding faith and and glory in God. I love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, good. Then it had a good a good ending and an outcome. Yes. Yeah. So many great memories. I think this is a great opportunity right now to uh, play your Christmas song. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Well, it's called Holiday Rock. Um, it's a it's it's one of those instant timeless classics where like the first time because it was Tyler and our friend Dan Book wrote it together, okay. and so I remember him sending the demo. Yeah, you press play and you're like, oh my goodness, like yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. My kids, the first time they heard it, yeah. were singing along by the end of it, and then uh, after it ended, they were like, play it again, play it again. And I was like, okay, well this this works because they rarely do that about anything. Yeah, <laughs> so yep, yep. they're very indifferent. My children are all like way cooler than I am. <laughs> yeah. right. They're like, who are you? You know, <laughs> yeah. like whatever, mom. So if something catches their ear and they're like, woo, excited about it, it's like okay, so. Yeah, this song is just one of those, like, feel-good holiday songs. It's not trying to teach you anything. <laughs> you know how I hate that. I know. You don't like I to hate be that. slipped I in a, a, a message when you. you're enter- being entertained. No, it's just, this song is for to entertain you. 
Okay. On account of you want to be entertained. Right. Yep. <laughs> so. and, what, and what's so funny about neon trees, too, is we will look so serious in photos where, I mean, we could oh, yeah. be all over the place, you know, four lined up. And when it's like, you know, that camera's there where <laughs> it's just go time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but the we have, but, but the truth is we have so much fun. We try to put so much fun into it. And that's what this song brings. Well, that's so great. Let's listen to Holiday Rock, and then I hope that you'll stay with us so that we can ask you a little bit more about the music. That's Holiday Rock by the Neon Trees, which we well, have Richie, 50... can we just... Listen, I would have let it go if it were one time. What? The Neon Trees? Yeah, neon Trees. Yes. Okay. Listen. That is twice here's now. The, I'm going to have to so, stop you right so, there. So, 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 here, so here's the deal. It's Neon Trees, correct? It yes. is Neon Trees. But, and but, we are affectionately known as The Trees sometimes. Yeah, sure. Like, I'll refer to us as that. Right. Of course, of course, of course. So... I mean, a great classic uh, song for the holidays, for Christmas. I wonder what that quintessential holiday Christmas song was for you growing up, or as you look at your as your life at a whole. Like yeah, or my, now. Yeah, or now. My like ours. Yeah. We knew it was Christmas time when Perry Como started singing the Christmas hits. That was our home. Oh, what yeah. was your guys? Well, well, definitely not Santa Baby. Yeah. I will do oh. anything to never hear that song again. Amen. Yeah. Me too. And I, I hear there's one. a petition going around to, really? to get it off the radio at Christmas time. But I I would only listen to Christmas music. It had to be after Thanksgiving and December 26th. No. Yeah. Because I was so sentimental. And, and I think it's all about the anticipation, the buildup. And what... Uh, but... No, I'm, I'm opening that now. I'm trying to, you know, bring more of the Christmas spirit into my life. But to answer your question, it's uh, Christmas time again, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Oh, yeah. Um, That's a great yeah, one. Yeah, just love it. And at the end where he says he's asking Santa for a Fender bass guitar and, like, a Rick and, and a Rick and Backer. Ooh, he said it right. He said it right. Oh. It's Rick and Backer. Feels and wrong. That's, that's right. And that's a whole other discussion, Richie, which yeah. we'll get into Listen, next time. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but it's well, that song. It's, it's, it's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. It's Christmas time again. The Elaine, do you have a, yes, a song? I do. Well, no, not really. It's so Bing Crosby and mm. like Ella Fitzgerald, that whole era of, I had a, a CD when CDs were a thing. Um, and it was just called like Christmas Oldies. And it was a bunch of like Bing Crosby, Ella Fitzgerald, and like yeah. uh, Patsy Klein was on there. Just like a bunch of different. Did we get mainstay. a little Johnny Mathis? Yes, he was yeah. on there too. Yeah, exactly. So it's like the whole era of like yeah. just old timey feel good. That's what I associate with like the Christmas spirit. Like just one of those versions of those songs coming on with those voices brings me right there. Modern wise, though, mm-hmm. I do love Neon Trees Wish List. Yes. Oh, yes. Up yes. until Holiday Rock, that was like seriously okay. my top three. Yeah. And ho- it's still, probably still in the top three. It's just Holiday Rock probably bumped one other one out. Yeah, that's a my family, uh, a family classic. You know what we should do because maybe people haven't heard that. Let's <gasps> sample a little bit of that we one should. right now. Thank you. That was Wish List from Neon Trees. You know, talking about Christmas memories and, and what makes it really feel like it now and the music that we love so well. And I, because you are parents and now you're trying to create that sort of holiday magic and we all know that our intentions aren't always <laughs> the reality, right? Like, so True. what we mean to pass on to our children, you know, we don't get to choose what they remember. But having said that, as you look forward to to the holidays and especially Christmas time, what's the, the, the biggest, you know, either fun memory or memorable thing that you hope that your kids hold on to? Well, I think um, for us, so my husband and all my children are dual citizens, Germany and American, you know, just that's what they are. So we try to stress the German traditions. So obviously, Advent calendars are a big deal. 
uh, starting December 1st all the way through Christmas. Like, that's something they look forward to. And they get to eat their chocolate at breakfast. Yeah. So that's like, nice. I think that's special when uh-huh. rules get thrown out the window for like 24 days straight, you know? <laughs> yeah. I think right, that's going right. to be memorable. Yeah. It, <laughs> Not it's Elaine Bradley and Brandon Campbell from Neon Trees uh, sharing with us holiday rock and also wish list. And uh, from Lisa and I to you and everyone else in the band, we wish you a Merry Christmas. Oh, thanks and a Happy Thank New you. Year. Hey, you're listening to The Lisa Show. When was the last time that you thought about discovery and curiosity? Curiosity is natural to every child. I mean, everyone's born with it. And keeping this part of us alive, even as adults, will help keep us current and youthful. Now, listen, we know everyone is looking for the next new you know, fountain of youth. So how do you actually do it? How do you cultivate this attitude of discovery if you already know what you like, you know? <laughs> so we've invited John Sovic, a therapist, good friend of The Lisa Show, to help us walk through this idea and have a good conversation about it. Uh, thanks for being here, John. Thank you. And I hope you and I together discover some really cool stuff this morning. I love this attitude. I feel like this is the best way to have conversations in real life anyway. Honestly, instead of coming in like with our own agendas, but, you know, discovering things together. We talk a lot about creativity in sort of um, broad terms, right? And 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 so I'm wondering t- to you when you talk about an attitude of discovery or what does it mean to really like live in this space? What do you mean? Well, I have two definitions for you. Okay. One of them comes from my yogic background, which is really approaching life with a beginner's mind. Oftentimes we get really caught up in the fact that we've seen everything, we've done everything, we know everything, we're jaded, we've read it, we've seen it on TV, we've seen someone else do it. And we move into these places where we shut down our ability to just be curious about our world. You know, I took my dog for a walk this morning and at 6 a.m., the, you know, the sun's coming up, I'm in my beginner's mind, uh-huh. and I get to notice like the hummingbird that flew in like over the bush, and we paused for a while. I get to be curious, like, why does my dog keep going for that one bush? And then I realize there's, you know, a McDonald's wrapper under there. Sure. <laughs> but that beginner's mind, bringing that curiosity into the simplest things of life, allows me to stay fresh and energized and intrigued by my world. The other definition, and this one I love sharing with people because it was such a cool discovery. Um, Anne Rice, Interview with a Vampire. You uh-huh. remember those books? Oh, yeah. So in the first book, there is a moment where they go over to Paris, and there are the Paris vampires. And they're like underneath the ground in the mausoleum. And they talk about that a lot of the, lot of the old vampires had gone crazy. Mm-hmm. But there are a handful of them that did not. And when they asked them what the difference was, is that the ones that did not go crazy, that kept themselves, were the ones who stayed current, the ones who were constantly learning and growing as society changed. Now, if you think of that context, that they were living hundreds of years at the time, you see how important that would be? Oh, yeah. Um, And that stuck with me at such a young age when I first (laughs) read that book, that it's been with me for the rest of my life, this idea of that even as we age, that if we remain curious, we remain connected, we remain vital. And that, to me, is where that fountain of youth piece comes in. Okay, so we, we assume that this is something that we all lose as we get older. And if you spent any time with little kids, you know that they, they just have it in spades, right? That, that they are curious about everything and, and the questions and how they approach life. And somewhere along the line, we, we dull it 
Um, and, and there's probably many reasons for that. But I think that it is worth our time to to really bring to light some of those reasons why we might suppress it so that that if we are trying to look to reignite it, um, that we'll know wh- where to go. So where does that come from? W- what do you see? What I notice a lot with the clients that I work with is that often that, that loss of our curiosity, that dulling down of ourselves mm-hmm. and our, our spirit and our being comes from really getting stuck in the routine of our lives where we, you know, find ourselves, you know, constantly stuck in our commutes and, you know, not really listening to anything new or exciting like the Lisa show. <laughs> Thank um, you. <laughs> God, that it just <laughs> nice. um, That, you know, we have to maintain and fix the broken appliances. We have to, you know, take care of the family stuff where yeah. we find our relief in watching TV and eating a bag of chips while we do it and going into that doing nothing phase. That the routines of our lives tend to pacify us and shut down our curiosity. And if you've ever been through, you know, any type of, you know, emotional journey such as depression, you you find yourself sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into those types of things. It's like, yeah, I binge watch something, you know, for 12 episodes. And those types of things are what shut down our curiosity in the world. Mm. They tend to make us go very small and very fearful. And what this curiosity thing does is it opens a doorway to actually look outside and see the beauty of the world around us. Oh, I love that. Um, I want to just echo a couple of things that you said, that the routines sometimes pacify our curiosity and and keep our minds sort of small and fearful. What is that connection then? I, I guess maybe I hadn't thought about it in that way, between fear and, and curiosity. So I think we've been hmm. taught that the world around us is so scary by like 24-hour news cycles and the idea that, you know, there's not enough or that, you know, we need to keep everything tight inside, that if we can actually go against that, let curiosity, as I said, open that doorway, step out, be a little bit curious. Maybe it's out the front door and meeting a neighbor for the first time. Maybe it's going out and experiencing something by taking a class at community college to find ways to encourage us simply to open that door And once that curiosity gets sparked, most people, it's kind of addictive, to tell you the truth. Uh Uh-huh. You know, it's interesting when you talk about curiosity and you've really laid it out about why it's so important and how we can really have this attitude of discovery and and, and what gets in our way of doing that and how it it can make us feel a little bit more, uh, you know, fearful. Um, and, and we're talking with John Sovic, friend of the show and therapist, about about finding this curiosity again. Um, the, it, it really is the, the new fountain, one new meaning timeless <laughs> fountain of youth mm-hmm. and keeps us curious. I, I'm wondering what you think about um, about not only how we do this, like I, I appreciate you saying, you know, taking a class, meeting a new person, getting out there, seeing the beauty around you. For those who this is going to be very uncomfortable for them to get out of their comfort zones. For those who were thinking, I like my routine. I like my, you know, chips and <laughs> binge watching shows. <laughs> you know, like I don't know if I want to put that down. What would you say to them? I would say let's just look at you know, what we understand about the brain, the body, and our humanity. 
We know for a fact that in aging adults, that if they start to lose that curiosity, we look at neurological illnesses, we look at declining health, um, we look at it having an adverse effect on both our brain and our body. Also, too, that if we shut down our curiosity, we're going to lower our ability to actually continue learning and growing, and that's going to affect our intelligence. Um, we also understand that social relationships get affected by a lack of curiosity, that we tend to just be in like groups all the time, and that doesn't necessarily help us grow. It doesn't help us change. And when we're hiding out in that routine, we're going to be less likely to, you know, check back and be enthusiastic and talkative and confident and humorous with the people that we're hanging out with. And then finally, too, it really affects how we create happiness and a meaning in our life. Because what we understand is that when we look back at a life that has been simply controlled by routine, many people are like disappointed by what they have or have not achieved. But yeah. if we build a life that has a purpose that's driven by this curiosity, interest, hobbies, passions tend to follow us wherever we go. We meet people, we read books, we experience sports, we grow skills, we have conversations like you and I are having mm. that help us each to grow and change and we find passion as we experience in our life. So all of these things are really why this mm -hmm. idea of maintaining curiosity is important into our well-being. When you talk about these kinds of issues about discovery and creativity and 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 staying curious with open-ended questions, do you ever have people who push back and say, you know, things like, "Well, I'm just I've never been creative. I don't really use that part of my brain very much. I'm more analytical." And 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 how do you sort of um, help them on board towards this idea of discovery? Well, I'm a pretty uh, sassy therapist at times, so sometimes we'll <laughs> good. Say, this like, is why you're good to have this conversation with. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I'll say, "Like, okay, cool. That's been so far. But what would you like to do going forward?" Nice. I encourage people to explore being in this unfamiliar space of being in a little bit of discomfort because sometimes that uncertainty is really what helps us have excitement in our life. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, if you were a sports person and before you saw any game, you knew exactly what the score is going to be at the end, <laughs> would it make it exciting or interesting? Right. Nobody would watch. It would not. Yeah. So I help to point out to people that we actually, we love in uncertainty in certain frameworks. Hmm. And how can we bring that framework out into other places? You know, if it's exciting to not know what the score of the games could be for you to watch it, maybe be just as exciting you're going on a first date to not have a preconceived notion about that person. That maybe when we're going to a class to learn something, I remember my mom loved the Civil War. So when she was in her 80s, she took a class at the local college, you know, on, on really? Civil War history. Wow. And, you know, she had visited so many of the sites and had so many experiences, but she walked in there just so curious to learn what she didn't already know or hadn't seen. And so that little, that little place of uncertainty, that little place where maybe a surprise will give us some more energy and some more intrigue in our world and lighten our step for the day. That's Teaching such an interesting idea. With that space. Well, you know, I hadn't thought about it before, but now that you say that, I, you know, when I was going through a very difficult time and, 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 and was very depressed, one of my friends 
uh, suggested a new hobby for me, and and I reluctantly did it, and it ended up being being just like the best thing. And and, and I ne- I've never until this moment right now connected that like that idea of discovering creativity with with you know with my emotions and and, and pulling me out of mm-hmm. that. That's interesting. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Just a different well, way to look thing at that it. That I really encourage encourage people to do too. Um, this is another way to. Um, kind of spark this curiosity is I encourage people either like, you know, bring to life their inner Sherlock Holmes or <laughs> bring to life their, you know, internal like, um, like court reporter or um, like a reporter on the scene of something to start paying attention, to be curious. The thing that always fascinated me with the whole Sherlock Holmes, you know, story uh-huh. is that he would look between like the the tedium and the familiarity of those daily routines and notice those interesting things. Yeah. And so it's like, what if you go to this party and you imagine that you're a reporter who's going to make a, you know, write an article about the party and that in, brings up your attention. It brings up a little bit of curiosity. Yeah. It allows you to play in a different way. And in that exploration, then all kinds of things can happen. Maybe you talk to someone at the party you would never have talked to otherwise because they look interesting or they had a group around them. And you're like, what's going on over there? I want to investigate that experience. And then when you're there, you find that, wow, they're speaking about stuff that's really intriguing to me. Suddenly you make a new friend, you make a new connection, or they spark something in you that starts to be a catalyst for new thoughts, new ideas and perspectives. And as you're growing and changing, I mean, that's how you regenerate. That's how you become that interesting vampire that has, has lived for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? I, I love that we're using I can that. And walk the streets of Paris, yeah. And not go crazy. <laughs> that's how you do it. The new yeah. fountain of youth and the discovering. Thank you so much for an interesting conversation, for helping us discover new ways to stay, you know, really invested in life and, and curious and, and new. We, I, it's always a pleasure, John. Thank you so much. Thanks. It's been a light chatting with you, too. You can find out more about John and his work at johnsovic.com or following him on Twitter at John Sovic. Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show. We'll be right back. Welcome to The Lisa Show. No one likes a fake friend. We want intimate friends we can trust, talk to, rely on. People who will understand us people who will laugh with us. But in an age of Facebook friends and Instagram followers and superficiality, how do we deepen these forms with sincere connections, sincere friendships? Well, joining us for International Friends Day today is friendship expert Shasta Nelson. Shasta's authored a lot of books about friendship. She's also the founder of GirlfriendCircles.com. She was uh, Facebook's media spokesperson and friendship expert for Friends Day in 2018. She's with us to talk about going beyond the superficial and really connecting with people we call our friends. Welcome, Shasta. Thank you. That's such a great topic. Love it. I love it. It's a great topic because we all want deeper connections. We're being told all the time uh, through research and science that, you know, it's it's the connection that's important, not the number of Facebook friends and things that you have. Um, and in your book, this really got our attention. You talk about how most of us probably have intimacy gaps in our life. So talk about what some of examples of intimacy gaps we might have. 
Yeah, it's such a great awareness. When I've been studying loneliness, a lot of people didn't identify with it initially because they were like, oh no, I'm around people all day or I have yeah. great people skills or I have friends. And we actually have a hard time sometimes identifying that feeling of recognizing that we're lonely and it's not from lack of interaction, but it's from lack of intimacy. Mm -hmm. And we know that when we can say, you know, wow, I don't know who to call and share this part of me with, or I don't feel like this part of me is being seen, or I don't know that I feel completely safe in these relationships or would they really be there for me if I really needed them um, and so we start feeling like I could I have people to go socialize with or I have mm -hmm. what we call a fun group or you know golf group or a girls night out or something and I know people from work and I'm friendly but like the question is how loved and supported do you feel and when you ask yourself that question and, and saying, wow, I could use a little more love in that, in that place, that's where that's the intimacy gap. It's us saying, I want something that feels a little closer, a little safer, a little more enjoyable. Yeah. So did you coin the phrase frentimacy? I did because I was on a campaign for a couple of years to just talk about how we need more intimacy in our lives outside of romance. But of course, every time I use the word intimacy, no yeah. matter how I kept trying, they were like, <laughs> sex, sex. And I was like, no, no. And I was like, no, that's the whole point is that that's not, those are not synonymous. We need so much more intimacy, platonic intimacy in our lives. So finally, I coined the word <laughs> to yeah. open a new folder in our head. So, so tell people how you define frentimacy. So frentimacy is any relationship where two people both feel seen in a safe and satisfying way. And so um, we can have different levels of that. And I teach different uh, kind of depths of that. We would want that in all healthy friendships, even on lower levels of relationships. We want to both feel seen. Uh, we want to understand each other. We want to feel like we get each other, that we feel witnessed. We want to have fun together. We want it to be satisfying, to be enjoyable. Uh, to laugh, to get the reward of friendship. And that third thing is we want it to feel safe. We need it to feel trustworthy. We need it to feel reliable. We need to feel like it's consistent and there. So those are the three three things that we measure the health of any relationship by. And so uh, we want vulnerability, we want positivity, and we want consistency. And those three things together make up that definition of we both want to feel seen in a safe and satisfying way. So if we both want us to... We both want these things, and then what keeps us from from having them and having deepening frentimacy? It's a great question, and I've been surveying you know thousands and thousands of people on this, and I have a frentimacy quiz that I have on my website. If anyone's interested in doing that at shastanelson.com, mm -hmm. and it will ask you to take you know kind of an inventory of your friendships and how you show up in your friendships, and we'll give you a score in positivity, consistency, and vulnerability. Because the answer to your question is, it depends on. It's different for each of us. For some of us, we have high consistency and high positivity, which mm -hmm. means we see each other regularly and we have fun together. But if for like for a lot of men's friendships specifically, we've modeled and taught men to do friendship in that way, but they often lack vulnerability. We have not done a really great job of giving permission, modeling and encouraging vulnerability in men's friendships. And so that would be the area that would need to be 
increased to make the biggest difference, perhaps for some relationships. Um, other relationships, uh, we have a lot of relationships where it might be high in consistency and high in vulnerability, where we are we know a lot about each other and we've shared a lot and mm -hmm. we are interacting a lot, but we like the positivity has dropped out. It feels draining. It feels exhausting. We're not having fun. It's like just been hard. It's it's uh, depressing, <laughs> and so we need to actually increase the positivity in our relationships. So you when you start seeing all three. The question then becomes what will help uh, Lisa improve her friendships might look different than what Richie needs to do, which is look different than what Shasta needs to do. Yeah. And it's really the bigger question is which of these three positivity, consistency or vulnerability would make the biggest difference if you were to focus on that and, and build that up in your friendships. But certainly during life, you know, you have different uh things to give different kind amounts of time or positivity or, you know, you know, your, yeah. your, our lives uh, feel, you know, full in these areas, even if we know an area is lacking, but we maybe uh, are not in the, in the, in the right, uh, maybe mind frame or commitment to do it. Why should we still make an effort? Why does it matter? Yeah, it matters so much. And I just get this gets me on my soapbox. I could do like <laughs> an up. hour. I'll, I'm, I'll give you a hand. I'll give you a hand. Come on. Get come on I'm up like, there. be careful what you're offering, Richie. I could be up there for an hour being like, here's all the research. Well, you no, don't have an hour. <laughs> it's like, it was truly, and I'm not exaggerating here. When we look at the studies from a health perspective, there is very few things that matter, if anything, maybe sleep, but even your sleep is improved by healthy relationships. Like loneliness messes up your sleep. But uh, beyond that, relationships, like when you look at what, what helps you survive cancer, relationships, more than uh, any other factor. When we look at what helps reduce stress, relationships. When we look at longevity, relationships. When we look at mental health, relationships, immune systems, relationships. And across the board, we've been told Told that it's our health, that it's, our, it's related to our diet and doing more sit-ups and doing kale smoothies. And, you know, we have a whole list wow. of things that we think are really important. And uh, truly, if you have healthy lifestyle habits and feel connected, those are the best combination. But there's studies out there that show if you have to choose between those two, if you have to choose between taking care of your loneliness and taking doing healthy lifestyle habits, mm -hmm. you're better off dealing with the, the, with the loneliness. Hmm. That is doing wow. more damage to feel lonely or disconnected damages your health the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. It's twice as harmful as being obese and it's the, does the equivalent damage on your body as being a lifelong alcoholic. So across the board, wow. you're, this is this is the issue. And I'm just shocked that we haven't talked about this more and really, 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 really believe the research because the data is super clear. We're talking with Shasta Nelson about the importance of, uh, of friendships, of, of relationships, of connectivity with those around us. I want to not necessarily push back, but most of this nation is lonely. Mm -hmm. You know, when you talk statistics, I think they say mm -hmm. that we went from a, a standard of like 2.7 friends to like 1.6 friends mm -hmm. or something like mm -hmm. that. There are probably a lot of people listening to this who, if they, if you ask them, who are your friends, would not be able to answer a single name. What what can those people do? Like how how do as adults do we now nurture these relationships uh, that we haven't for a long time or create friendships that that don't even exist? Yes, it's a, such an important question. And you are right. Right now we're showing about half of us are saying we don't even know who we would confide in if we want. Like we don't have somebody to confide in. So absolutely, the loneliness is palpable um, in our country and in a lot of Western countries. And actually, we're seeing it just 
in more and more countries. So the most important thing that we need to be doing is looking at who we know already, even if you don't know them well, even if they're loose ties, like where can you show up in your life more consistently to help strengthen some of those ties? And so very few of us are going to be really excited about initiating dinners out with people we don't know and like making big plans. Mm -hmm. So the easiest thing to do, because consistency is one of the three requirements of healthy relationships, the most important and easy thing we can do is figure out who we are already consistent with, like at work, at church, at um, at our kids' school, at that association that we're a part of, and and or decide where we want to be consistent and say, okay, I'm going to join that network. I'm going to join that that uh, sports group. I'm going to join that. Uh, community there. And I'm going to be consistent for the purpose of building relationships. And eventually, we need to build our relationships and increase our consistency outside of those networks. We want to do that one-on-one. But initially, the most important thing you can do is commit to being somewhere consistently. And then once you're starting to see the same faces over and over and over, that's where you can start bringing in the other two requirements of all relationships, which is positivity. So what can I do to to express gratitude to this person? How can I give compliments? What can I do to bring laughter? What, what kindness can I show? What, uh, what's, you know, how can I remember their name and make them feel good? So yeah, we want to bring the joy and the positivity. And then that third thing is vulnerability. We want to start asking questions and being curious about their lives and starting to get to know them. We want to make sure we're sharing a little bit about ourselves and we want to pick up on that next time and like get to know them a little bit more. And so I can guarantee anybody that if you practice the three requirements of relationship positivity consistency and vulnerability we can guarantee you will bond with people there's it doesn't even matter who the people are at the end of the day you don't have to be so judgmental about do do our lives look the same do we have enough in common at the end of the day if you practice these three things you will feel closer to people and you will bond uh, it, it seems to me that consistency is is what you are proposing is the first step for those who may think, ah, you know, I'm an adult and it, it and and I'm trying to find more friends as an adult. It, would that be it correct is. and assume? So, it so is. as we are looking, uh, you know, of, of who to invest that in, or you know, who to reciprocate that with, can you talk a little bit more about the qualities of a great friend? Yeah, I mean, we could just keep it easy and say the qualities of a great friend are somebody who does these three requirements. I mean, it's somebody who's showing up in your life that you can rely on. Um, it's somebody who, at the beginning, that showing up doesn't have to mean, you know, it shouldn't mean uh, doing everything for you and showing up when, uh, right. when everything. But but it just means simply <laughs> like day. putting the phone down and looking at you when we're talking. It means like smiling and making eye contact. You know, it's like being reliable in that interaction. Um, and as somebody who practices positivity, and I really want to clarify, positivity does not mean what we're talking about. It doesn't mean we only talk about positive things, but it means how do we leave the other person feeling after our interaction? Mm. And the research shows we have to have five positive interactions for every negative feeling or interaction in order to keep a relationship healthy. So our job is to make a lot more, a lot more deposits than withdrawals. And, um, and then somebody who's willing to be seen that vulnerability piece, you know, can we ask questions? Can we share ourselves? And at the end of the day, that is what makes for a healthy friend. All the rest of it is honestly examples of how we do those three things. So some of us might mm -hmm. say, I look, I want a funny friend. Well, that's right. an example of positivity. I so we would say, I want a friend who's there for me. Well, that's an example of consistency. You know, so everything else when we talk about what we want in friendship is an example or an outcome of one of these three things. Hey Shasta, how do you do with this? 
you know, it, relationships ebb and flow. And it's amazing <laughs> when I'm writing a book and I'm talking about certain friendships. Yeah. And then, you know, eight, eight, nine months later, when the book's coming back in my lap for editing, and I'm just like, oh, wait, that person's moved away. And I'm not that close anymore. Like, oh, wait, this person. And it's so funny to see the, the ebb and flow of relationships. So I'm very, very, very committed to my friendships. And uh, I don't think you can read the research and not be practicing it as much as you possibly can. And I live in a transient area in San Francisco hmm. where people move away. And I'm like considering making people sign contracts that they're going to stay here, <laughs> be my friend for 10 years. Well, how do you deal with so. that, though? Of, of You may be committed to consistency and vulnerability yes. and positivity, but yes. that doesn't necessarily mean everyone else in your life is. How do you yes. adjust to that sort of ebb and flow, as you call it, or, you know, people going through different phases of their lives, whatever you want to call it? Yep. Yep. No, I, I think it's important to have, I'm very much a, a somebody who teaches that we need to have a circle of friends because anytime you're expecting every one person to be there, it's just too vulnerable of a relationship. Like right. they is fragile. People move, they go through stuff. They're caring for aging parents. They're having kids. And so I'm often somebody who's quick to say, if you're starting to feel resentful toward a friend for mm -hmm. not being there for you, it's often not a sign that she's or he is a bad friend, but it's often a sign that you don't have enough friends. And so that we really do need to have a, you know, my goal is to have five to 10 friends who are the relationships that we are journeying life together. And those might not be all 10 that I'm confiding in on a regular basis, but they're people that I could and that I would be there for. And so it's there is an ebb and flow that certain mm -hmm. times there's a couple people that I might be closer to and see more frequently. Um, but yeah, my goal is to have a healthy community of people that I can rely on and, and that they can rely on me and that we're really showing up in that way. But it is, it's tricky. We live in a world that does not, we live in a world right now that is not oriented to relationships being what we need the most, even though the research keeps showing that we are very much caught up in productivity and consumerism and uh, achievement. And we keep thinking those are the things that are going to make us, leave us feeling happiest and most proud at the end of the day. And, um, and we always know, we always, everyone always says on your deathbed, the things you regret, like we know it, but we don't know it. Right. <laughs> we aren't really living our lives like we believe the data. <laughs> uh, Shasta, one more question before we let you go. Um, in an effort for me to be a healthier individual, will you be my friend? <laughs> Richie, didn't uh, you just listen, listen was, to what she said? you got to put in like 200 hours. I know. I was going to say, are you flying here? Are we doing right. lunch or what? <laughs> well, it depends very much on your answer right now. <laughs> well, I can promise you this. We can always be friendly with each other. And if you want to hang out with me, then we can develop a friendship. That is a wise, <laughs> wise answer. Shasta Nelson is a friendship expert, author of Friendtimacy, How to Deepen Friendships for Lifelong Health and Happiness, and founder of GirlfriendCircles.com. Thanks for being with us, Shasta. Thank you. Hey, thanks so much.